good to see some new faces, maybe family or friends or uh, neighbors you're visiting. So welcome if you are new here today. We're glad you're here. I'll apologize in advance. Our uh, Lily caught a lovely cold and then generously passed it on to me. So if I sound like Snuffleupagus or have to pause for a tissue or water, just excuse that and we'll continue on. So... Um, I hope you all had a good Thanksgiving with family and friends or just uh, staying at home for the day to celebrate the many gifts that God has given us. On Thursday, Brandon and I and our daughter Lily, we, uh, we had the gift of spending some time with family in Indianapolis. And um, on the drive down, our daughter was surprisingly quiet. So we, they, it's rare for us. So we actually got to talk, and so we were trying really hard to live into this Thanksgiving spirit. So we um, spent about the whole hour naming things that we were grateful for the past year. It was really wonderful. And then when we arrived with our family, uh, Brandon's mom got this gratitude jar where we all write down things we're grateful for and stick it in the jar so we can pull them out and remember them next year. So all of us together were trying really hard to embrace this thanksgiving spirit of gratitude and contentment in God for all that God has given us, because God has given us so much, has he not? Amen. Amen. I hope you all were able to experience that gratitude. But then on Thursday, something interesting happened. I don't know if it happened to you, too. It happens every year. So I don't know why it surprises me, but every year it still throws me for a loop. We've been together a couple hours, and then someone mentions Black Friday. It usually starts at Thanksgiving because we start making plans for Christmas, so naturally people start asking, what do you want for Christmas? And suddenly my mind goes from I am so grateful and content to, wow, how many other things do I need? And I start thinking up a Christmas list in my mind of all the things that I want, and suddenly I'm not so content anymore. And then that, even that very night, starting at 5 p.m., people race out of their family gatherings of contentment and gratitude in order to push and shove and trample each other for all the things that they don't have. And it all feels so ironic, doesn't it? Do you ever experience this? Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with shopping sales. We personally are grateful. We took advantage of some Black Friday online sales. We don't have the stamina for the in-store stuff, but we bought some gifts. And so I'm not saying there's anything wrong with shopping sales. It's good to save money. But yet, every year, this, this conundrum, it throws me off. It seems ironic that as a nation, we set aside this whole day to give thanks, to be grateful, But then that very day, for some of us, greed and envy arises like a monster. You know, and then we just start pushing and shoving and trampling each other. And there appears to be a discrepancy between our intentions, our our words and what we're saying, and then our actions that we live out not much later. Have you ever experienced this? That, my friends, a a discrepancy between words and actions, this discrepancy is exactly what's going on in our passage today in ancient Israel 
to a really, really high extreme. Our passage comes from the prophet Jeremiah. And this, this text, it takes place around the year 627 B.C. So it's about 627 years before Jesus Christ is born, if you can wrap your mind around that. So this is a time when God's people, called Israel, they're living in such a way that there is a major discrepancy between what they're saying and the way that they are living on a daily basis. There is a major discrepancy between who they claim to be and then how they are actually behaving. You see, in that day, we learn from Scripture that many Israelites, the, part, the leaders in particular, those who had power in society, they were claiming to be followers of God. They're going to the temple and saying their prayers and doing their religious duties, but then they leave worship and do everything but faithfulness to God. They leave the temple and they start worshiping cultural idols. They leave worship and in their greed and envy, they push and shove and trample others, especially those who are most vulnerable in their midst. All of this was in direct violation to God's laws, and yet they didn't seem to care. But God cared, and God was not happy about it. So God goes to work and he raises up a prophet named Jeremiah. And God calls Jeremiah to be his mouthpiece, to open the eyes of God's people, to see this discrepancy between their words and their actions. He calls Jeremiah to to call the people to repent and choose a better, more life-giving way, a way of peace and justice and love for all people as God intended. That's where we pick up today in scripture, starting with Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 to 10. Before I read, let us pray. Lord, may your word be our rule, your spirit our teacher, and the glory of Jesus Christ our only concern. Amen. Here now... The good news of scripture from Jeremiah 1, starting at verse 4. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I, that's Jeremiah, said, Ah, Lord God, truly I do not know how to speak, for I am only a boy. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a boy, for you shall go to all to whom I send you, and you shall speak whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Now I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and over kingdoms, to pluck up and to pull down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. If you're following along in your Bibles, we now skip ahead to chapter 7 
verse 1, if you want to turn there. Chapter 7 starts one of Jeremiah's famous sermons that God has given him. It's often called the temple sermon because Jeremiah preached it outside of the temple as people were going in and out to worship. And this sermon, it summarizes much of God's message through Jeremiah. This is what God had to say, starting with verse 1. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah, you that enter these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your doings and let me dwell with you in this place. Do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. For if you truly amend your ways and your doings, if you truly act justly with one another, if you do not oppress the alien, the orphan, and the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, And if you do not go after other gods to your own hurt, then I will dwell with you in this place and the land that I gave of old to your ancestors forever and ever. Here you are trusting in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known? And then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are safe, only to go on doing all these abominations. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your sight? You know, I too am watching, says the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. These words that record God's call to Jeremiah and God's words spoken through Jeremiah, they carry within them both great comfort and great conviction, both for the original hearers and for us today. So that's what we're going to cover, the comfort and the conviction. So in summary, God calls Jeremiah, if you heard it in the call in chapter 1, to tear down some things first, to tear down some systems and practices of idolatry and injustice that are wreaking havoc on all of Judah and the surrounding nations, to tear those down. But the tearing down is in order that God might then build something there beautiful, That God might build a people who are faithful and just, a society of people that are beautifully love God and neighbor through word and deed, a beautiful society of people who witness to the love of all of the love of God. So that's Jeremiah's call to tear down and to build up. So let's break down this scripture passage in two parts. First is this call of Jeremiah to be a prophet from chapter 1. So it may not seem like it at first, but this call carries with it words of great comfort, both for the people then and for us today too. 
For this action of God to raise up Jeremiah to be his mouthpiece, it is, a, is an assurance to us that God is with us. Even when everything around us might seem dismal and dark, God sees and God cares. Even when there are injustices around us that seem completely unchangeable, God sees, God cares, God is acting to make things right. At this point in history, around 627 B.C., things seemed really dismal for a lot of people. The suffering seemed completely unchangeable for them. There were a lot of people in the land of Judah who were really suffering under the people in power. And these people, they had cried out to God and they had to wonder, I wonder if God will ever redeem us. If you remember from last week, uh, God's people in the northern kingdom had already suffered the consequences of their idolatry and injustice. God had allowed the, the empire of Assyria to conquer them. And so there was hope that maybe the people of Judah would learn from those mistakes. And so God sends another prophet. God sends prophet after prophet. And Jeremiah is the final prophet who says, listen, The same thing is going to happen to you that happened to the northern kingdom if you don't repent and amend of your ways. There's this empire called Babylon that God is going to use to be your consequence, going to overtake you if you don't amend your ways. And so the people who are suffering in Judah, suffering under the sins of those in power, they see hope. Maybe there's going to be a change. Maybe they're going to learn from the mistakes of our neighbors to the north But the people don't listen. The children, the elderly, the foreigners, the poor, those most vulnerable in society, they continue to suffer under the hand of those in power who are committing grave sins against them. And they have to feel forgotten. They must feel helpless to escape their situation. And so I wonder about your own life. Have you ever felt helpless in the face of injustice? Maybe you or someone you know has experienced an abusive marriage, a really unhealthy relationship where one spouse wields all the power, whether physically or emotionally or financially. And the abused spouse wants things to change. They need things to change for their safety and that of their children and grandchildren, but they just feel helpless to make anything change. They don't feel like they have the resources needed. Perhaps you know a child. Perhaps you were that child who felt helpless in your own home. Perhaps mom or dad or some other adult in authority over you misused their power and mistreated you, and you felt helpless to escape. Perhaps at times you felt helpless under a boss or other authority figure or political leader who made policies or said things that you really disagreed with, 
but you felt helpless. How can I have a voice under those who hold so much power? Have you ever felt helpless in the face of injustice? That's how a good number of God's people were feeling in Judah. I'm sure they began to wonder, has God given up on us? Well, in this call to raise up the prophet Jeremiah, we see God's clear answer. The answer is no. God has never given up on them. God will never give up on the suffering. God will not abandon them then or now. Before the people could even cry out, God was already appointing and raising up in the womb of a mother, a leader who would speak out on their behalf. A prophet who would call out the injustices of their day. They couldn't see it. They didn't know this baby was being formed. And yet God already had a plan. A plan to speak on their behalf. So if you feel helpless in the face of injustice, either in your own life or in the world around you, hear this good word of comfort. God sees. God cares. God is acting, and we have to trust that. Even when we might not see it, God is raising up people to speak and act his truth, just as God raised up Jeremiah. God sees, God cares, God is acting. And here's a second word of comfort that we get from Jeremiah's call. If it is you that God calls to speak or to act on his behalf, Chances are, if you're following God closely, God will call you on several occasions to do so. So when God calls you, might be a better way to say it, when God calls you, trust that God is the one who's going to do the work. You do not have to rely on your own strength or willpower or savvy speech. Jeremiah was not equipped for this task. But neither was Moses or Gideon or Isaiah or Mary or any of Jesus' disciples, but God supplied all that they needed. The words, the power, the courage, the stamina, God will supply what you need too. So remember these words of comfort from Jeremiah. God sees God cares about the suffering and injustice in our world. God sees, God cares, and God is acting, even when we might not be aware of it. And if and when God calls you to be his hands and feet, trust that God will supply what you need. These are words of comfort from the prophet Jeremiah. But within God's words through Jeremiah, there also come to us words of great conviction. As we said, God also speaks words of tearing down, words that pluck up and destroy the false, ugly parts of our lives and our society, all in order that God might build up and plant in its place something else beautiful and life-giving. So really, if you think about it in reality, words of conviction are actually words of comfort. 
because godly conviction weeds out the ugly in our lives in order to make place for something beautiful. So don't be scared of this word conviction because it really is comfort, making a way for something beautiful. So in Jeremiah's temple sermon, God's words of conviction against Judah's leaders were this. Their words and their actions didn't match. We mentioned it before. These leaders are going to the temple. They're doing some of their proper religious things. But then as soon as they leave, they are completely violating God's law. They're ignoring and abusing the most vulnerable in their midst. They're worshiping other cultural idols, idolatry and injustice. God is not standing for this. But these leaders are treating God like a magic genie. They're acting like God is required to give them perpetual safety and blessings, no matter what they're doing. God is just there to, to just shower on a little bit of magic safety dust. This is what was meant by the temple of the Lord, temple of the Lord, temple of the Lord. Just they're going to sprinkle a little bit of God onto their lives to just bless whatever they're doing. And God says, I don't think so. That's not the way it works. Like the perfect parent that God is, God says, yes, I will still be your God. Yes, I will always love you. But no, I will not tolerate idolatry and injustice. There will be consequences for sin. Yes, I will always be your God. Yes, I will always love you. But no, I will not let you get away with this behavior perfect parenting model, right? These are words of conviction to us today as well. Because I wonder in my own life, in our community's life, in the church at large's life, if there are times that we claim God's name, but then in our daily actions we ignore or mistreat the vulnerable in our midst. Are there times that we claim Jesus is Lord with our mouths, but then we go about worshiping cultural idols, whatever those might be for you? It can be so easy to look back on Jeremiah's day and say, oh my goodness, look what they were doing. I never would have done that. They were so blind. It can be a lot harder to see the sins of our own day in our own lives, our own culture, the idolatries and injustices that we swim in every day and don't think twice about. So, quick story, when I was in college, I got to spend a little bit of time in Poland. Anyone been to Poland? Uh, Yeah, one. I don't recommend going in January, which is the time that I went. Very cold. (laughs) But when I was there, the most memorable part was I visited Auschwitz. Have you heard of Auschwitz? um, It was one of the most brutal concentration camps of World War II. So all the things that were shocking at Auschwitz, horrendous at Auschwitz, the one thing that bothered me most was how close the houses and towns were to this massive concentration camp. You could stand in the barracks and see communities all around you. 
It wasn't like this place was in the middle of a desert where no one knew it was there. People knew it was there. People could see the smoke rising from the smokestacks. You know what they were burning. People knew it was happening. And there were a number of churches close by. And yet the horrors of Auschwitz went on for years. Not only that, but some Christians even supported and advocated for Hitler's policies and practices. Because Hitler, you see, he was a master of this power game where he would say one thing and then act in a totally different way. So we have a lot of speeches recorded where he plays on Christian audiences using Christian lingo to gain the support of Christian crowds so that they either look the other way or support him in his regime. And that's the way that many Christians in Germany and around the world stayed silent as millions and millions of innocent people were tortured and killed. But even in the midst of that horrendous injustice, God raised up leaders like the prophet Jeremiah. I think of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, if you've ever heard of him. I highly recommend his work. He was a brilliant Christian thinker in Germany who spoke out against Hitler and called Christians to true faithfulness and justice. Bonhoeffer, like most prophets, was killed for speaking out. But he was used by God to speak hope and truth in the midst of this darkness and to awaken the church's eyes to what was going on. God still speaks through Bonhoeffer's words today. I think, too, of our not-so-distant past in our own nation. I think of Martin Luther King Jr., whom God raised up to speak out against the sins of racism that caused terrible suffering for our African-American brothers and sisters. When our African-American brothers and sisters felt so weighted down, so helpless in an unjust system, MLK preached especially to his fellow Christians and church leaders, to his fellow Christians who were either turning a blind eye or who were actually on the front lines advocating for these practices. God raised MLK up to speak hope and truth in the midst of injustice. God still speaks through his words today. I think of all the people, young and old today, who every day in their schools and workplaces and homes and neighborhoods speak God's truth of righteousness and peace in the face of bullies and corruptions and unjust policies and practices. I think of the church in China. Anyone familiar with what's going on in the church in China? It's remarkable. So in China, it's actually illegal to preach or evangelize. And yet it's one of the places in the world where the church is growing most rapidly. Like the church is exploding like wildfire. And people can't really figure it out. So I was recently listening to a podcast from a missionary who works closely with those in China, and he asked, how is this going on? Like, at least 10% of the population now are actively proclaiming Christ as Lord. That's remarkable. And so this missionary explained the phenomenon like this. He said, you have to understand, the worship is terrible. <laughs> 
like we only have hymnals from the 17 and 1800s because that's all we can get our hands on. The music is awful. The preaching, eh. <laughs> well, it's like outdated language and in English for the Chinese, so they like don't know what they're saying often. So, so that's the, the difficulty for them. The preaching, I mean, not a lot of people are trained. They, they get in Bibles when they can, and they preach when and where they can, but it's outlawed in China, so it's really hard to do, right? So he said, how is this spreading? He said, you have to understand this. The Christians are the ones in the society who care for the vulnerable. The Christians are the ones who are going out of their way to take in those abandoned babies. The Christians are the ones who are going out of their way to care for the elderly who don't have family to care for them, to make sure that they are not neglected. The Christians are the ones who are opening their homes to accept the refugees who are coming to them to escape war-torn nations and oppressive regimes in their home countries. In China, the Christians are the ones who are living like Christ and the church is spreading like wildfire. The Christians are living as God has always called his people to live, and it is winsome. It is creating a beautiful society where people are welcomed and loved and cared for. So whenever I feel overwhelmed or discouraged by the suffering and injustices of our world, perhaps you do too, that which is present in my own life as well as that which I see around me. I'm encouraged by God's faithfulness shown through witnesses like these that we've gone through. I'm encouraged to remember that no matter how dark or dismal things might seem, we know that God sees the suffering. God cares deeply about it. And God is acting even when we may not perceive it. And all of this we know because in Jesus Christ, God has gone to the farthest extreme to prove his relentless love by taking upon himself all of our suffering, all of our injustices that we commit. He's taken upon himself all the pain and sin of the world in one so that we might live in his kingdom as his beloved sons and daughters experiencing the perfect shalom of God now and one day forevermore in its totality. To Jesus be all the glory and power and praise forever and ever. Amen.